0: Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the Roundtable Discussion Podcast where we talk about the classics. My name is Chase, and I continue to be your Mostly Quiet producer. Today, we continue to discuss Murder in the Cathedral by T.S. Eliot. As a warning, we take a good chunk of time in this episode to discuss politics and particularly how this relates to current events. If the discussion of the attack on the United States Capitol from January 6th of this year is something you find upsetting, this is... Might be a good episode to skip. If you want to support us, you can do so at our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can also find our website with a link to the merch store at ShakespearePod.com. And now, on with the show
1: So my hand I think is finally recovered from yesterday.
2: What'd you do to it?
1: Um signed a bajillion documents
2: oh yeah you guys bought a new house we did we bought gotta limber the wrists up
1: I know seriously I had to sign so many things Like, by the... have you just been renting this where you are right now yeah yeah. Gotcha. we rented it for the year um, we knew we were going to be looking for a place um, and we started early and we found mm-hmm. a turn of the century home about 20-25 minutes closer to my office than we are here Mm-hmm. But it puts us, like, kind of halfway between Columbus and Carla, my mother-in-law's house. So not terribly far for Hannah to see her mom still, and then...
3: It's a super cute house. I saw the pictures in the video. Yeah, yeah
1: I'm excited about it. It's got uh, a turret.
3: I, I want a turret. Chase knows this.
1: Um, it's I got like a... that
2: you guys let Izzy paint the bathroom.
1: Yeah, well, Izzy has the upstairs um so there's a two bedrooms and a bathroom upstairs so izzy's bedroom is going to be upstairs and she's going to have the other room is going to be a playroom and we're gonna we're gonna put like a like a bunk bed or a day bed or some kind of bed in there so that way when beth comes down to visit and the boys (laughs) come they have a place to sleep (laughs)
2: That's the first thing I said to Hannah when I saw it. I was like, "Oh look, a guest room for me!" She's like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, we were we were actually, looking for uh, furniture. We were looking at a bunk bed for when the boys come to stay, and the adults can stay downstairs." I'm like, I'm glad you understand.
1: Like, like legitimately, that was actually a thing that we <laughs> we thought about. Was like, who's gonna the, like who's gonna come stay over, and you know who's gonna come visit, and. Well the if, the
2: boys will be super excited because Izzy it's their best like they love Izzy. Well maybe Izzy loves more than me. Izzy loves
1: the boys and like I'm super excited for everybody to come down and see it. It's got um there's a big bay window in the front that where the <laughs> plan is where bookshelf and uh, a couple of nice reading chairs. So like the f- there's like two living rooms side by side. So the first one's got the bay window. When it's right, the public the parlor
2: and the private parlor. Well,
1: the, and that's going to have the, the reading, and it's going to have the the uh, big bookshelf with all the board games on it, and there's going to be a table right there. So we've got a board game room and a reading room, like, together. Um, and then, like, the couch and TV room is the, the next room.
2: Yes. Um,
1: it's got original hardwood through most of the house... Uh, the downstairs kitchen... The kitchen and the downstairs bathroom don't. Like, they've been redone with laminate, but I assume that means because somebody glued something to the original hardwood that they were unable to remove.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or they just had stupid kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Um, but, I mean, it's it's great. I'm excited. It's uh, Technically, we could do some work down in the basement, too, and have three bathrooms and another room down there. Also... Uh, if we if put Bones in needs effort, his own room Well if we put in the effort to like Finishing, doing some finishing work Down in the basement um, But yeah it's uh, 120 years old And it's got a lot of character Which was something that we were really excited about Um, It'll be, it's kind of like Our little castle house For us I
2: like that it's a castle
1: <laughs> It's got a slate roof and a turret Like you know we're just It's got character and that's one of the big things That we were looking for our I mean our big preference would have been to, you know, for it to be out in the country, um just because neither of us is super big in town people. Um but it's on a one way street and it's walking distance from the fairgrounds and a big park. Oh, that's nice. A park that Izzy loves already, um, that Han and Izzy already go to. It's got a big hill that they climb they call it the mountain um (laughs) but yeah so walking distance from that stuff and uh it's a little closer for work for me so yeah we're excited about it um it'll be a good house for us i think
2: well good
3: i'm glad i'm glad you know who else lived in a castle henry the second second. (laughs) who said go murder this priest
0: or
1: did he
3: or did he? The question of the day, did he about. or didn't he,
1: did he say, rid me of this meddlesome priest? Or troublesome I... priest, or turbulent priest, or whatever or whatever it was. descriptor so, you want to attach to the priest.
2: I'm pretty sure that T, or that, what, Tennyson, Alfred Lord, Lord Alfred Tennyson Alfred is the one who Lord said that. Alfred Lord Tennyson? Alfred Lord, yep, Lord's his middle name. It's not a, t- it's Alfred, not a title.
1: Alfred, Lord Tennyson. <laughs> middle name. Yeah, sure. Fine. Yeah. I'm I'm good with it. Alfred Lord Tennyson.
3: Beth, I can't complete this thought with you to get you back on track because I don't know where you were going, so I'm just going okay, so to te- in that
2: direction. Okay, so Tennyson wrote a play called Beckett that's about mm-hmm. this. Um, okay. And most of the time when people uh, put it on stage or uh, make a movie about Thomas Beckett, they use... Tennyson. Tennyson as as the back for it. Um there was someone there there was a couple people there, but there was a guy there who uh who witnessed the whole thing go down and he <sighs> made a good amount of money for eleven seventy telling the story <laughs> of the murder of Thomas Beckett.
1: Yeah, so, um his name was Edward Grimm, who Grimm. was a clerk. Um, so we're talking about Thomas Beckett, um, we're talking about Henry II, we're talking about T.S. Eliot and Lord Tennyson on the Shakespeare Podcast. And I'm Ryan Halfo.
2: I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie
3: Greenley.
1: I'm Chase Greenley.
3: And we are doing our second episode on Murder in,
1: in. in the, the Cathedral. cathedral. Um, season 2, all bets are off, Shakespeare Pod
3: dot com. <laughs> I like that tagline. <laughs> All bets are off. All bets are off. We I don't know if had bets on us the first season, but...
1: No, no rules just right. No, no. Yes, we're Outback Steakhouse now.
2: <laughs> oh, God. Well, I mean, we're kind of bastardizing the idea we came up with to start, so at least we got some nice oat bread.
1: I no? do love a good oat oh. bread.
2: Gotta cook Gotta
0: get a bloomin' onion while you're at it? Yeah. Um, God, I had... Look, I I I'd, I'd destroy a bloomin' onion right now.
2: Would it, would it would be very tasty. It would It would destroy me a as well. a goddamn bloomin'
1: onion right in a goddamn cathedral.
2: I am old enough <laughs> to know that if I murdered a bloomin' onion, it would murder me back.
0: Oh no, uh, it, same, same. It would be a bad like three days afterwards. Revenge but of the for those, onion. But the fifteen minutes of the murder, okay. delicious. <laughs>
2: When it's hot enough that the oil still like burns your tongue a little bit. You're that like,
1: that glorious time? that glorious first fifteen <laughs> on the bloom and onion. But <laughs> the next thirty six, man.
2: It's like Miles Pizza. You got like twenty minutes to eat this shit, or it's gonna taste like fucking cardboard and compressed government cheese.
1: But for the that twenty <laughs> minutes, it is the most glorious food experience of your life.
2: So I never understood people getting it like shipped across the country. I'm like Oof. God, it's terrible. Even getting it delivered—that's
1: well, because they par bake it. <laughs> they par bake it, and you cook it. You cook it the rest of the way at home.
2: Okay, I know, but it's
1: no. I'm. I'm still. I got. I'm planning a trip, and that trip involves going to Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just stop through there on your way somewhere else. It's.
1: It's my. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's the plan: is to go somewhere else, but to stop in Greenville on the way because it is my favorite pizza in the entire world. I put on forty five pounds. Working for Chip Miles.
3: Well, you know who didn't take a detour to get pizza?
1: Thomas Beckett. The,
3: the,
2: the, the four knights. knights who murdered Thomas Beckett. <laughs> All right, so All right,
1: we right Well, you went a go different go. spot <laughs> than I did, but still, nobody. Yeah, yeah. They did not take any detours.
2: You know who did? So take I'm trying, detours, guys. So I'm trying. The chorus took some detours. Oh yeah. They weren't there for the whole thing. So where do we want to start? Whew. Well,
3: let's start with language since we we brought that one up
2: mm-hmm. yeah chase um, chase was
1: emphatic about that actually in, in part one i think it it's really
0: interesting no, and i agree you
2: can tell when chase was in a play because he's, <laughs> he's very vocal involved about in the it. podcast <laughs> i also
1: did like reread this one otherwise he is I, our mostly quiet producer
2: it's because Most... it's like 40 pages long it's short it was a breezy one it
1: is not a long I'll admit. it is not a long play
3: but but yes it's all in verse except for the sermon that is the interlude because it's a sermon cuz it's written as and, a sermon and yeah and the what i'm going to refer to is the court scene uh when our murderers break the fourth wall to mm-hmm. defend themselves to the audience yeah, right and
1: they
2: those put themselves on sections, trial well those sections are in prose both of those sections are decidedly outside the actual play. Yes.
1: Yeah, the so, the s- It makes sense. The sermon is an interlude. And also entirely optional for the show. It's true. It you is. You do not, do have not need to show to the sermon. It. Um I think it's an interesting thing. I think an interesting way to stage it is to pre record the sermon mm. and play it during intermission.
3: Oh, that could oh, be okay. neat. Yeah, that'd be interesting.
1: So it, it serves as an actual full-on interlude at that point. Um, huh. You know, that the audience can hear Thomas Beckett delivering that sermon while they're grabbing their, you know, concessions mm-hmm. or their what vittles. have you.
2: vittles. Concessions.
1: Their juice, huh. their yeah, so juice the... and cookies.
3: But the rest of it is in verse.
1: Yeah, the whole damn play is in
3: verse. But here is my issue with it. It's not, it's very inconsistent because sometimes it is in blank verse that's just unrhymed. Sometimes it's in free verse where there's absolutely no meter to it at all, but it is still poetry. Sometimes Sometimes it rhymes, sometimes it doesn't. Um, sometimes half of a speech rhymes and then the rest of it doesn't. Sometimes half of a speech is metered and then the rest of it falls out of meter. And it it, it
2: felt sloppy to me. Yeah, it's. I mean,
1: I think it's I, all over the place. I do think that is at least a little bit intentional. Not to defend T.S. Eliot, but to defend T.S. Eliot a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that part of that is intentional With dealing with the subject matter and everything that he's dealing with, that some of it, I mean, it was a very sloppy topic.
2: It's also pretty indicative of the 1930s. Yeah. And poetic writing styles at the time to have something be. Because it's a stressed syllable meter, but it's not rhyming. It's not rhyming.
1: Yeah, it's not intended rhyming meter, but.
2: Like, if you look at. If you look at others at the same time, like e. e. Cummings and things like that, you get the same stuff. It's the same... post-romantic... Poetry. Yeah, it's
3: just... it's just when when... making the comparison to Shakespeare may be unfair, but with Shakespeare... his verse usage is always so deliberate. Yeah. And when it falters... There's, like, a reason behind it. And I can look and say, okay, what is the reason? What is this saying? And I can usually, like, pick it out. I had a lot of trouble doing that with this one. I would try when the verse faltered. I'd be like, okay, why are we falling out of meter here? Why are we, you know, falling out of rhyme? And I couldn't usually figure out, like, the message and the intention behind it. It's
2: because you almost have to flip it. So instead of looking for passages where the meter drops to be what's important, look at the passages where it's actually a couplet or it actually is, you know, feeling the flow. Those are the ones that would have had the most... Yeah, the most important ones would be that way. So I think the emphasis...
1: Well, especially like when you're looking at, like, uh, Beckett... After the after the temptations, that which is probably I uh, might be the most famous set of lines from this play is in rhyming verse. Yeah, in a way, like, and I, I agree with Beth a lot of the times it feels like, at least with this, that to draw your attention to specific, important things that T.S. Eliot was basically trying to get your attention on, then it went into meter, it went into verse or, you know, specific verse or, you know, rhyming verse to make sure that you remembered it or paid attention to it.
2: Well, and I'm thinking about some of T.S. Eliot's other work. Because, like, the... The what is it? Proof rock. What uh, the cats is all really rhymy, but Wasteland is notably not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this is much more that kind of dark, darker verse that Wasteland was, as opposed to the fucking Angelic cats. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah, and and I get that. And, like, the rhyme not rhyme doesn't bother me as much as when, like, he's writing in a very specific meter and then all of a sudden he's not anymore. And the meter falters and is just like, well, now I've abandoned this idea in the middle of a speech. And so I get entirely like, okay, this one's important, so I'm going to make sure that you notice by putting the rhymes in, by putting the really strict meter in. But then it makes by comparison it makes the rest of it feel a little phoned in like eh this speech isn't that important nobody's really going to remember it they might just yeah. skim through it so
2: whatever what but i think, think it's a big yeah. one yeah, absolutely i think it absolutely. is absolutely yeah
1: i think that actually in some ways is a little bit intentional it's supposed to be dirty the play this is not a clean play this is not a you know the subject matter is not clean um you know and even in nineteen thirty five eight hundred years later, or even now in twenty twenty one nine almost you know almost you know eight hundred and fifty years later you know
2: so i i love t s Eliot, but I think that there's i think you're giving him too much credit on what he's trying. <laughs> I think Cassie is closer to the truth here. I'm like <laughs> this is the important bit, so well, i no, spent no, time on yeah. it, and no one's gonna fucking read this shit. So let's <laughs> just go over
1: it. I mean I was I think I was I think I was getting the same spot in a very roundabout
3: manner.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's like Ezra but I do bothers the I shit do. out of me because half of it's throwaway.
3: I do legitimately love though, that when the murderers go to defend themselves. They literally turn and step out of the language of the rest of the play. It
0: reminds me a lot of uh, Saved by the Bell, like Zack snaps (laughs) his fingers, and these four four guys step out. It's like, hey, guys, didn't that suck? Well, and- Let me tell you about why we actually also hated that, except Stabby Steve. He loved it. Stabby Steve is a fucking unit. (laughs)
1: Steve was here for it.
2: He, he is, in fact, over there making mud pies out of the blood and the dust. He's blood pies. Guys, he's you realize
3: he's a character now. You've written this guy into the Shakespeare thematic universe. Stabby Steve. Stabby, stabby,
0: stabby Steve, Steve, Steve over there making blood. There's pies. always a friar. There's always a stabby Steve.
2: Yeah. There's a friar like and a stabby In my Steve. head, he's Animal from the Muppets just going <laughs> in a pile of blood. So it's, it's good.
1: Stabby Steve and them blood piles. Blood pies. That's a t shirt uh, right there.
3: Is Stabby Steve just like the Roomba with the knife? <laughs> uh, Stabby
1: Steve go brrrr.
2: <laughs> Murder. Just a knife,
1: knife tape to a Roomba.
2: I don't know what's better DJ Roomba or Stabby Steve Roomba?
1: Ooh, can we, make, uh, can we make Stabby Steve, DJ Stabby DJ Steve? DJ Stabby Steve.
2: DJ, DJ Stabby, Stabby Steve.
1: Steve. It's Belle.
3: Oh, God.
2: Okay. Stab, Stab. Way different, oh. way different Stabby, Stab, Fresh Stab. Stab. Prince
1: of Bel-Air if he's with DJ Is Stabby, Stabby Steve Stabby Steve's going to make his way onto a t-shirt gym? now? Uh, maybe. No promise. I think it,
2: like, someone had to have been there and been like, yes.
1: Uncle Phil's no. had a lot harder time throwing Stabby Steve out the house. The
0: jazz. Well joke. and I just
3: so I uh I just finished watching and I don't recommend searching this out, but I just finished watching a stage musical that was made in the nineteen sixties. Oh god. Um that was a stage musical adaptation of Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It did not take off the way the other ones did. Um it's horrifying for many reasons. But it's basically just the an animated my face? movie. I mean, I
1: know this is an audio medium, but
3: It's It's a ham face. There's no adaptation happening in it. It's literally like just the animated movie beat for beat put on the stage, including the dwarves. Don't Google it, please. It's horrifying. (laughs) I don't want you to have nightmares. It's very scary. I wasn't Googling it right now.
1: Don't Google it.
3: But when the huntsman um, shows up to kill Snow White and he pulls the knife out to stab Snow White, you can tell that it's an evil knife for an evil purpose. Because instead of being like an actual dagger, it's like the wavy blade. Oh, it's a Chris. Oh, yeah, you know, it's the evil wavy blade. It's a Chris. And so I just imagined the four murderers pulling out like the
2: evil wavy blades to stab. They're <laughs> pulling out. So they <laughs> It's not that. It's like I feel like it's not that far off. There is a beautiful sculpture of three swords, not four, three. In the uh, Canterbury Cathedral, where Thomas Beckett was murdered. Mm. And like uh, an one of the of decor, swords but... is like very wavy. It's looking. a flambear. That's how you know it's evil. Yeah. A flambe- That's a flambe- how you know it's used for an evil purpose. Is that something about lighting cheese on fire?
1: Flambear. Uh, it's a, <laughs> yeah. a two handed sword that had a wavy blade, like the Chris Daggers. Um,. Well, no. The only reason—the reason that there's only three swords in the sculpture—was that Stabby Steve was moving so fast that nobody (laughs) could describe his actions accurately. See, I just figured.
2: In the same way, Henry II tried to rewrite history and say that he didn't tell them to go do that.
3: Stabby Steve is awesome.
2: Look, we aren't claiming that he was with us. He just had a knife and was there at the same time. <laughs> we so, just,
1: like this guy, he was homeless. It's so he one of the things up.
2: that we're going to talk about tonight is the um, insurrection at the Capitol. Yeah, let's just yeah. let's transition and do that. Yeah, that yeah. are we gonna through.
1: are we gonna let's bite the bullet? So are we gonna do it now?
2: Stabby yeah. Steve is like the guy with the weird bull hat on.
1: Oh yeah, Bison, yeah. bison head.
2: Yeah, like
1: bullshit. He's part of
2: QAnon, but the actual like
1: bullshit Nordic tattoos asshole.
2: Yeah, yeah. The guys who I are like planting the pipe guy. bombs with the zip ties, who are actually like trying to hang Pence, are like, yeah, we don't know, we don't really know him.
1: No, yeah, actually, he's the guy that wanted to fight the most though, because I hate white supremacists and they're taking over of Nordic uh, symbolism. So. Yeah. It's pretty awful. Yeah. He's the guy I wanted to fight the most.
3: So, yes. Yeah. So like, I even offered the him to. The question... I, I,
1: I put it out there. I was like, I'll fight this guy.
3: The The question that surrounds this history is, uh, what was the charge from Henry II? Did Henry Did say... Did he actually say...
1: Or was it a wink and a nod...
3: Was it a wink and a nod, or was it just like him venting, letting off some steam? Like, oh, this guy is so annoying. I would have so many fewer problems if he was just like gone. If somebody just went and stabbed him. So, but like that's... one of those things you say when you're complaining about like a coworker.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that's not... the that's the myth. That's the myth that I grew up with was that it was an offhanded comment by Henry that led these knights to go and kill him, and that Henry regretted the moment it happened
1: i fully believe it was a wink and a
2: nod i do too especially having seen
1: what happens
2: with a wink and a nod. a despot give a why oh god trump didn't wink and nod bullshit
1: well no i okay i i say wink and we're gonna
2: march down there to the capitol building but trump literally
1: said. said hey go down there and start shit
3: and then later he's like, "Well, I. Oh, I didn't. It's not my fault that they interpreted my offhand comment that I way. Didn't, I didn't say go start shit. Look, I'm only descended from Henry the Second. I, I don't, can't speak to his character. You don't speak
2: for the brand of the company. No. <laughs> She's not here um,
1: representing the Plantagenets.
3: I'm not. I'm really not. So, is it possible that it was just like an offhand comment? That then got taken out of context and blown out of proportion. sure that's a possibility. Don't
1: go to the Archbishop's house (laughs) and murder him in daylight, like broad (laughs) fucking daylight.
3: But yeah, this is the end of the the war. The point for me, though, is that even even if it was just an offhand comment, the fact that you hold a position of such power means that you have to be careful and you, you have to be aware of what you awesome say and cabinet. how you phrase things because people will take it to mean, oh, well, this person in power has said that he wants this, Every person therefore I has, am going to take it upon myself to go and do Every person
1: arrested for the capital insurrection has said Trump told us to do this. Every single yeah. one of them.
2: Yeah, and Words over 80% of them the believe nonsense. the Democrats have a cabal of pedophilic
1: baby drinkers
2: yeah yeah but, blood, there, so blood
1: drinking baby rapers
0: yeah it's it's absolutely insane and we could go
1: off on a much yeah. much longer tangent Look, on it's how... a everything that was a incredibly broadcast. wild yeah. like every republican statement that was incredibly wild five years ago like mm-hmm. way out on the extreme five years ago is the mainstream now and it will Absolutely. be. It will yeah. continue to be that way. So
0: until somebody actually starts holding conservatives responsible for the things that they say. So here, because the got... pe- people don't yep. at this point, and that needs to change if we want to get our country back. End of my rant. Yeah.
1: Well, hey, hey and live your life in a way that millions of people don't celebrate your death.
2: Yes. Rest in yep. hell, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, that's why Texas pros fires of hell went back.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. He went to, but he any, went to but, yeah. the special hell.
3: <laughs> but I- my, my takeaway from, from this is regardless of if it was meant or not, regardless of if it was intentional or not, it is the responsibility of people in power to remember that the words they use matter. Yep. And to, therefore, be measured and be cautious and think about what you say before you say it. Because even if later you're like, well, I wasn't saying that from an official position. If you're a king, if you're a president, if you're the head of anything, everything you say is, an is to position. some degree an official position. Uh, I mean, even just me, my job, like, we're told that wherever we go in the community we are to some degree representing the library yep so like I'm you know a children's librarian but even if I'm off the clock people still associate me with the library and so I have to think about is what I'm about to do does it have the potential to negatively impact the library and then I decide how much I care I'm not often in that position you probably shouldn't hang out with
1: me and Beth then (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> we're very literate. But that's that's the reality is, like, I represent the library even when I'm not
2: on the clock and I'm not working as a librarian. Right, well, and any job that you have.
1: Yeah, I represent any, my...
2: Specifically corporate jobs. You are representing the brand and the company. Yep. When you are out and about. And I, if, work,
1: I work a corporate job.
2: If I were to say some of the shit that's been said on social media... I'd be fired for it. Uh-huh. I had to have that discussion with my in-laws. They were upset about this conception. They take sound bites from Fox News too seriously. Mm. But this could, like conception of cancel culture canceling conservatives? No, it's you say racist horseshit. You're gonna get fired yeah. for it because it's racist horseshit. It's
1: not cancel culture. It's consequences. For your fucking words. It
0: just so happens that conservatives are the ones who forget that you can get fired for doing stupid
2: shit. Right. And Henry's stupid shit that he said ended up killing Thomas Beckett. But Thomas Beckett also...
1: Said some stupid shit.
2: Said some stupid shit. Yeah. There's a lot of
1: stupid shit thrown about.
3: So we can kind of transition this into the discussion of... Who's in the wrong?
1: Well, right. I think that's where we were going with this one.
3: And uh, was Thomas Beckett asking for it? If he was, does that
2: mean he deserved to be murdered? Look at how
1: he was dressed. Look
2: at Lion <laughs> T. Hathill. I'm going to come across here, punch you in the face. Well, good thing
1: T. is not my middle initial. But no. Well. Um, Thomas Beckett was totally asking for it.
2: So he... He decided
1: to when back he the came church. when he came back. Well, I mean, well, specifically at the the murder part. He was asking for when he came back from France before his exile was ended. He was asking for repercussions. repercussions. Um Now, when he initially when he initially denied Henry the and the three bishops went around him and uh confirmed Henry II anyway, he was doing the will of the church. And at in eleven seventy well, eleven well, sixty-three when he did that, the will of the Catholic Church in England was that was a strong force. And to you know, so, the Archbishop of Canterbury was arguably the most powerful or second most powerful person in all of England.
2: And this is this is a problem that plagues English history: is the secular versus the non secular power.
1: There's a reason the United States has separation of church and state.
3: Well, ostensibly, well, we do.
1: Are okay? Supposed to. We're supposed to.
2: Supposed to, but. Not in reality. If lawmakers continue to quote the Bible for why we should still have things in place that if
1: your pastor tells you how to vote, then your church should be fucking taxed.
2: (laughs) Yeah. so should your union then. So
1: Nope. There's not a separation of union and union, Beth.
2: I just think everybody should be taxed.
1: Oh no, I agree. everyone should be be taxed. Everyone should be. Especially
2: billionaires. That's not the point. So the point I'm trying to make here is that it's not about the coronation. It's about the church's power. Oh, yeah. So Thomas Beckett is making a stand in this excommunication that you can't just coronate a man because he told you to coronate him because the Henry I said you should. That's not good enough. It comes from the church, that the church has the power to coronate Therefore has power over the kings. And the king's like, (laughs) I believe that I am anointed by God. And Thomas is like, no, but I do the anointing. So it's 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 the
1: argument of the divine mandate. Where does the divine mandate come from?
2: And so both of them are making power plays using the lives of the general public as fodder.
1: Because
3: does, and that's where the chorus comes
2: that's in. That's where the chorus comes in. Because chorus is like, hey, <laughs> all kings are bad. All barons are bad. People are going to die either way. If you try to not rock the boat so much, you won't die. We won't die. Canterbury won't be under some sort of terrible siege. There won't be a, I don't know, vacuum of power that will be awful and have repercussions for years to come. But Thomas doesn't care because Thomas has a righteousness here and I get pissed about righteousness.
1: Yeah, he's got a real righteousness issue.
2: So do I believe that he stood there to be martyred so that he would be remembered? Nope. But I do think that he believed strongly that the church should be the most powerful thing. And Henry believed strongly that the crown should be the most powerful thing. And, how, like and they, neither one,
1: neither one of them was arguing against the, the mandate from from heaven. Neither one of them was arguing against that. They were just arguing, arguing about who decided on the mandate.
2: Right. And so the power should stay with Rome, or should the power stay with the crown to dictate how it goes down? And... I mean we'll see it play over and over again in English history. Well,
1: and in especially more in
2: English history than any than other anywhere else.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, I 100% agree with what you're saying there and I know you can write it down. Go ahead. I said I 100% agree with something that you said. Um, oh
2: no, at this point I'm just used to agreeing with me. I'm amazing. I'm
1: going to have to start disagreeing <laughs> harder now. Um okay. but no, uh the Especially during the Middle Ages, medieval times, and especially in England, the church and various rulers, you know, any ruler that was outside of what the church wanted,
2: the, well, church, think of...
1: the church caused problems for.
2: Do you guys remember when they used to call it the Conservative Party the moral majority?
1: Yes. They still do. Do they still? Okay, I. They still at least reference themselves that way.
2: Do CNN and the news sources that I they don't. So, as we relate again back to this insurrection, January sixth versus this action, is you've almost got it flipped here with the moral majority,
0: mm-hmm.
2: where the the king is sending people in to kill this priest to stop. What could be a religious insurrection?
1: Instead so of encouraging So who's in the one? right?
2: If if his throne is delegitimized, do they go back to civil war?
1: Does the War of who's the right? Roses kick back up again?
2: Yeah, I I don't know. Like when I walked into the project when we were asked to do this piece a decade ago, I walked in going, Thomas Beckett is a hero and a martyr and a saint and he did what was right for the church and he stood up against the king go Thomas Beckett um, but the older I get and now having watched this thing with Trump play out is he is he right how badly did the people of the of Canterbury suffer how badly set back was the church in England because of these actions instead of just being like alright guys Next time I get to put the crown on his head. There had to be another way around it.
1: And there definitely definitely should have been another way around it. Um,
2: Or should he have gotten the barons together and...
1: And gone ahead and gone
0: full tilt. And what's difficult to say about that is that, you know, we are talking about a time where even just the simple act of recording what happened really false it 100 percent fell to the winners mm-hmm. like it fell to the people who were honestly going to be least affected by it yep because you know as we've gone on you know it has been the the people who you know with the exception of thomas beckett who did die you know so you know thanks, pretty, big effect, on, pretty steve, big effect on pretty big effect on him thanks to stabby steve but um Outside of him, like the people who were most affected by it were the citizenry around yep. and, you know, the priests. And, and so they probably did not have a whole lot of say in exactly how it was recorded after the fact. And the, But Henry did. Yes. And he was able to put his mark on, no, this is what happened. And everything else is hearsay. Yep. And then so, the church
2: goes and puts their spin on it mm-hmm. by within three years, two years Three years They made him a saint. They 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 made him a saint. So you've canonized this man and made him a martyr. Henry's gotten out of it by putting all the blame on these four knights.
1: They just showed up. They were just And the
2: four knights were right. They are gonna look terrible for this action. That this is not history will not remember them well.
1: Yeah, no matter which side comes out on top, nobody is gonna look at those four knights and think, Yep, you guys you guys are great.
3: Yeah. And they knew and, it. You know, we well, are, and that's
1: the way. I mean, at least that's the way Elliot wrote it: is that they knew it, right? And that is kind of what
0: we're seeing right now. I mean, we are recording this on February twentieth, so you know we're uh, a full we month. We are well and a past. Half. Yeah, we are well past Trump being out of office officially. We're one. And we're one month
1: uh, into.
2: And we've seen an presidency. impeachment trial that had no chance of success. That witnesses we've had two, we've had two one witness trials
1: that had no chance of success because half the jurors decided ahead of time that they weren't even yeah. going to listen to the goddamn impeachment because well, half the jurors were complicit in the act.
0: Well, yeah, so I mean, when you gets- have
1: Cruz and Holly who were calling Trump on the phone during it. And you know, trying to get him to call off his dogs or Kevin McCarthy because they knew mm-hmm. that everybody was there on Trump's word.
2: But yep. the but the point I'm trying to make is, we can watch if we look at T.S. Eliot here, and we look at what's happening now. You can see both sides trying to sp- rewrite trying to sp- and spin, spin
1: it, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: to make it the like it's not my fault. I you know we did what we had to do to hold trump accountable you we we did we did that and then the other side's like uh we can't be held accountable for what other people do
1: well and, really. and the mean. worst part is is they tried to the the reason that they acquitted him even though the constitutionality passed and they held the trial in the first place most of the Senate Republicans are claiming that they didn't. They voted to acquit because it was unconstitutional to try him because he was no longer in office. So, what you're telling me is we can't charge him with crimes while he's in office because he's a sitting president. And we charge him with crimes while he's. Nope. But now we can't. That, now we That's can't. a
2: general. That's a generalization. So we can charge him with the crimes. The Senate just feels that they shouldn't be charging him well, with no, crimes actually, the crimes being the, a president.
1: The, the Department of Justice, it's not even a law that you can't charge a sitting president. It's a DOJ, no, we just, we shouldn't. We shouldn't do that because he's the president. It's not even there a are, fucking reality. They could have charged him any time during the four years.
2: He's got criminal charges against him. Now he, he does. does. Either way, let's get back to T.S. Eliot. Yes. Let's get back to T.S. Eliot. Sorry,
1: yeah, I could rant okay. about this for many more hours, at least as long as you guys talked about Jane Austen.
2: <laughs> I don't know.
1: Somewhere between 4 and 30 hours. Somewhere between 4 and 30 hours. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know what? Uh, I had a really good time hanging out with Cassie talking hey, about James. No, Elston. and it obviously it, it sounded. And I like would have enjoyed. I enjoyed that way more than I would have talking about Trump for four to thirty hours.
1: No, and it sounded like it. And actually, that's
2: why. Yeah. I, that's, yeah, you too, Cassie. Yeah. That's why Lassie. I
1: enjoyed listening to it, even though the subject matter doesn't, you know, does not interest me, and I didn't care for it. But <sighs> I could tell that you guys did. What is another pin that we have on
2: the? Uh,
3: list? Thank you. Uh, Fatalism. We've got. Yeah, we've got the Greek Christian juxtaposition,
1: and Beth not understanding what fatalism means. <laughs> fatalism is definitely not a Christian belief. Christians do not believe that everything is predetermined and that things are going to happen no matter what they do.
2: Incorrect. Yeah, that really. There's a on lot what. of Christian yeah. sects that do, but that's 100%. that's not
1: that's not a. Generally, Christian believe they believe that if they put their hands, God will. If they, yeah,
2: it's God's will. But
1: that's not the same as fatalism.
2: Okay. Depends on the lens you're looking at it. One of my favorite examples of fatalism in Christianity has to do with Anne Bradstreet. Does anybody else know Anne Bradstreet? She's a
0: not off the dome.
2: She's a, a colonial period uh, American poet. I know the name, and but I don't.
1: I'm not Anne familiar. Bradstreet.
2: Yeah. So. The Puritans had this strong belief that it did not, like, against free will, pretty much. That every action that they did, good or bad, was predetermined by God. So the course of their life predetermined by God. And one of the more striking ones, she wrote a poem about the neighbor being... um Like the neighboring settlement had been raided by um, native people and uh, people had been captured and taken away and that had all been planned and she didn't know why that wasn't in God's plan for her because there was nothing that could have been done one way or the other. So there is a lot of fatalism that we do see that things are predetermined that God has a set path for everyone. It just depends on what sect you're looking at. Okay, but God I don't know if God it's a Catholic spe-
1: God specifically gave people free will, which is the antithesis of fatalism. But God also has an all knowing,
0: all seeing plan. He knows what's going to happen. Well, look, I don't... free will is bunk because there's already going to look, happen. You I don't have... believe
1: yeah. that the Christian God knows shit, but I'm not a Christian. Right. Well, and so, the thing
3: is the thing is that there progressive Christian churches tend to say, no, free will, humans get to choose what they choose. The evil that's in the world is because of humans, has nothing to do with God. That's what free will is about. But more conservative Christian sects are very much in the everything happens for a reason. And yeah. that is it's everything all God's happens plan. You for... can't know God's plan. Everything happens for a reason.
2: It, he's everything not a, like, a happens for
1: life. a reason is not quite the same as fatalism, though.
2: No, no, not everything. Ha- like, everything is part of a the Episcopal Church is has a lot of their doctrine based around, like, there is a predetermined path that God has set you on and you are walking it.
1: Like, I, I am a fatalist. I I 100% am a fatalist.
2: Do you think that there's a path that you're walking that's been predetermined?
1: I believe that everything in my life, the high points, the low points, the major points, are predetermined, and how I get there is up to me, but there are points that I'm going to hit throughout my life, and they're always going to happen, one way or the other. I've always believed that is how my life is going to go.
2: And And so that's
1: not the same as God's plan.
3: I think that it... I, I think that it can be, depending on how you were raised in in which version of Christianity you were raised in. So I don't think it's fair to say that it's absolutely not a Christian um, ideal, because I think that there is a a version of it that is very much in line with with certain teachings of Christian theology. It's not what I personally believe, but I would say that there are definitely some Christians who would argue that same thing that you just said.
1: Uh, and that's that's fair i
2: and even in the new testament when christ is talking to judas there was no other choice you had no other choice no other path was before you this is what
1: but that's a specific specific person judas was set there specifically to betray christ
2: i'm just saying that examples of this
1: but that's not that's not here an overarching. Throughout. No, I'm I'm not saying that individuals, but I like that's not an overarching theme because specifically the Christian God said free will. And but the Well, it, the
2: Baptists don't believe in free yeah. will either. So it, it, I mean, there's lots of sects that don't look, believe. Look, there's it. a lot of
1: people that misinterpret yeah. the teachings of Jesus.
2: Yes. Exactly.
0: And what we're saying is that there are interpretations of yeah. Christianity that are fatalistic.
2: And let's Yeah, so Christianity has grown up. So when we make comparisons to this culture or that culture, Christianity grew up in the Greek culture, in these other cultures. It has begged, borrowed, and stolen. Why wouldn't it steal that, too? Oh, no,
1: and I, I, I get that. And that's the thing is there's no inherently, I can't say this in a way without sounding offensive, but there's no inherently Christian belief.
3: That's no, that's very true. Well, I think there's no inherent Christian culture. Yeah, I don't think that you can say anything overarching about Christianity because there are so many. At this point, there are so many different branches of it, and a lot of them believe inherently um,
2: opposite, opposite things. I was going to say disparate things. What? Well, yeah. And
1: everything, everything was stolen from somebody else
2: always mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't matter what cult you are you've stolen it from someone but i
3: think we've we've drifted from the point which yeah. which was that for a play that is so rooted in this question of christianity and martyrdom and and sainthood uh at key pivotal moments instead of falling back on christian doctrine it reverts to
1: the greek, greek. Ideal.
3: ideology yeah. and greek imagery with the fates with the the thread of your life being cut um which is interesting because again beckett's not saying god has ordained this for me so i'm going to accept it he's saying the cloth of my life is cut by the fates. and there
1: there part. are there are two there are two major religious philosophical mythological belief structures that 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 theory falls into or that feeling falls into and as greek and norse mythology both have a similar style of of thing there um but clearly this play the way eliot wrote it he wrote it as a greek style it's written
2: as a greek tragedy it's
1: written as a greek tragedy exactly um and, and so he's clearly drawing on the greek mythos when he's discussing the cloth of life there um
2: well the core like everything is set up to remind us the greek of greek, greek tragedy it yeah. all takes place in one spot it has the chorus who is giving our exposition yeah
1: all so the exposition the chorus exposition tells comes us what happened the for,
2: the chorus tells us what's going on on the 29th they are exposition even at his death The The chorus chorus is who's telling us what's happening. So it's set up as a Greek tragedy. And And it's beautifully done for it. I
3: think that that's important, though, because that is what lends this story its impartiality. If it was fully rooted in Christian imagery and Christian ideology, then it would almost have to seem like you're siding with, Thomas Beckett, you're siding with the Pope, you're siding with the church. But by putting that barrier of the Greek structure in between the audience and the story, it allows impartiality. It allows the audience to kind of draw their own conclusion.
2: Yeah. You know what's funny? And I think if you've ever watched, I've only, I've not read the Tennyson, but I've watched it because they did a version of it in like the 90s it is very rooted in christianity and it very much portrays thomas as a this is the path that god has set for me and i will take it kind of thing um instead of trying to decide what he's gonna do so yeah now i hadn't really thought about the difference between the two and how the bias would work there but yeah that's a good point. I like that one. And the
1: funny thing is is this spe- this play was specifically written at the request of a bishop to be performed in the Canterbury Cathedral.
2: Oof. That was So George George at the top Bell sitting looking at me. <laughs> Which one? James.
1: Hey Jamie. Um, George Bell, the Bishop of Chichester. Um <coughs> Chichester. <laughs> yes, the Bishop. Should they
2: make steak sauce too? The
1: Bishop of Chichester. So, that sounds like a totally made up thing. Um but um was instrumental in getting Elliot to work with a specific writer, and then uh there was a he wanted him to write another play for the Canterbury Festival in 1935 so he agreed to do it if the guy that he worked with on a different play was going to produce it and so the first performance of this was given on the 15th of june in 1935 in the chapter house of canterbury cathedral Because
2: Ooh, I don't know what that looks like.
1: <laughs> because George Pell, the Bishop of Chichester, which Stop still it. sounds super made up, Bishop of Chichester. Um, that's actually Hugo Thickmouse's title.
0: <laughs> Who's Hugo Thickmouse? Hugo Thickmouse is a uh, a mouse that Griffin's character has adopted in another path.
2: I'm, Watch out. I'm just, I think, I'm just throwing I think out, I'm that just, might actually be the name of Stabby Steve. Stabby, Stabby Steve.
0: Steve. Hugo Thickmouse is Stabby Steve. No, Hugo Thickmouse got his name because
1: he picked up this mouse and then he talked like this. <laughs> um, Rogar is actually Stabby Steve. Um, no, I'm just throwing out <laughs> just I'm throwing out other Ghostlight Media references just trying to keep everybody entertained. Um... No, so the funny thing is, is this was performed at the Canterbury Cathedral for the first time after it was written because a bishop of the church was like, hey, I like this other thing you did with this fella. Why don't you do another one? And he wrote a play about a dude that was murdered in that house.
2: I think that's the point.
1: The calls were coming from inside the house. I don't think that's, I think that's the point. I know, and that's the thing. That's that's the thing about the way that Elliot wrote it. And, like, Elliot was basically commissioned to write this by the church.
2: Yeah. I was commissioned to produce this by a church. Exactly, actually,
1: churches. Churches love this one. They put this on. Churches produce this.
2: We, yeah there's some great moral thought going on there in is it.
1: there is there's a lot of moralism and things like that that are involved in the work, and so it's really interesting that it is both incredibly Christian and also at the same time not
2: and I, see, I don't and I don't see it in any ways anti though I'm
1: not I, saying anti I'm saying not 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 against it is both Christian and secular.
0: Yes,
2: And
3: I think, honestly, that that's why churches should put it on, because churches should be encouraging independent thought, looking at issues from multiple sides, recognizing the complexity of history, that the reality of the situation is that nobody was entirely in the right, nobody was entirely in the wrong. Like, Henry II got up to some shit, and so did Thomas Beckett. And especially the, the stabby dudes, you know, <laughs>
1: especially the stabby dudes, stabby Steve. <laughs> um,
3: but but I think that I'm
2: sorry, that's we got to stop. It's Sir Stabby Steve. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He was a knight. <laughs> of course.
1: Of
0: course. He was a knight. I, was uh, a knight. I
2: feel like I feel like we are propagating this. Um, I
1: apologize for of disrespecting. just pushing
2: all of the, the guilt onto the knights uh, when we disregard his title. It is. No, Beth, it is Sir I'm Stabby saying Steve. that there were four knights and then this
3: additional guy that they picked up on the way. No, it's,
1: it's three knights. Three knights. It's three knights and, and Stabby Steve. And
3: Stabby Steve. Okay.
1: Um, no, he might have been a Sir.
3: A band,
2: he like. didn't go to Sir school for eight years to be called Stabby Steve.
1: <laughs> He's Sir Stabby Steve. No, He's That's sir right. Stabby I don't Steve. want to disrespect his title.
3: Um, um, so, but, Mort- but I feel that it is the responsibility of churches of the modern era to be encouraging complex and independent thought. Not all of I, them do.
1: But, I 100% but agree. Some of
3: them do, I hope. I hope that I belong to a church that encourages as,
2: rational, as, independent thought.
1: As a big, dirty pagan, I <laughs> hope for Christians that
2: he is filthy. Seek, I've seen it; it's gross. His feet. S-
1: seek independent thought. I don't even have the worst smelling feet in my own house. What are you talking about?
2: And and oh so, no, you got a kid.
3: I think <laughs> well, that I think that if churches put this on, that that I hope is the impetus behind it. I hope it so too. Reminds me. It reminds me of um, one of my favorite stories uh, surrounding the filming of the West Wing. There's an episode at the end of season two that was shot in the National Cathedral, and it has President Bartlett angry at God, and he rails against God. He stands in the middle of the National Cathedral and gives this speech about how God has done him dirty, and this is unfair, and... He no longer sees a reason to worship or believe. And so they were filming this in the National Cathedral and there were all of the priests kind of like standing around watching the filming and Aaron Sorkin, the showrunner, got a little nervous and he leans over to the one next to him, the priest next to him and he goes, you know that he's about to denounce God, right? Like, I just want to warn you that that's what this scene is. And the priest's response was, yeah, I know it's going to be great. And so my hope is that if a church specifically like comes to a theater group and says, let's put on Murder in the Cathedral, that that's the kind of idea that's driving it, is let's talk about these complex issues in complex and respectful
1: let's, ways. Let's have that conversation. Yeah. and yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I hope that that is the context that they're looking for, because this specific work doesn't work outside of that context if you're not willing to have that conversation you shouldn't be doing this
3: play so beth when you directed this for lion face we segue into our last pen, um, which is talking about Lionface's production of this show oh, um that's, that's a good one. Uh, you said that the church asked you to do it yeah so this was uh, trinity united methodist
2: trinity church. lutheran
1: Methodist. United, Methodist? United, United, Methodist. United Methodist. United Methodist. Yep.
2: Yeah, um, that's uh, so. This was the first play I think we did there. It was. Mm-hmm. It was. And um, the pastor reached out to us, or vaguely made mention that he'd like to see it put on, and that they would
1: be interested knowing, be
3: knowing in knowing and hosting. That pastor is that tracks? It. Hmm. I said knowing that pastor personally that oh. tracks.
2: Yeah, so, so I mean, he didn't talk to me. He talked to Lionface. He probably talked to Mike. I don't know. I don't know. But when it was brought to the board, I'm like, I love T.S. Eliot. I love that play. Let me do this, and uh, nobody said no.
1: Well, of course not. You said you wanted to do it. Of course, mm-hmm. we said yes.
2: There's a lot of things I want to do that people don't let me do. I'm like not allowed to play have, with fireworks anymore. we I, I yeah, so never me. said you couldn't. Chris says I can't play with fireworks anymore.
1: Okay, well, that's your husband, and that's between you and him. I don't tell you no. (laughs)
2: Unless
1: (laughs) we're arguing. Then later... or your wife's involved. But then
2: later I'm like, alright, Beth, fine. Fine. Um, Yeah, they they brought it to us that they would like to see it done. And uh, it was worked into their sermon. When we put it on... um, they did go to service that Sunday and tried to get people to come. Yeah, to they they the did. Show.
1: They talked to people. Like, just stay.
2: Just stay. And they did. People stayed yeah, to people see did. the people show. People did.
1: People stayed to see the show. I saw um, that Sunday matinee, actually.
2: It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. I was worried because of how uh, licentious I tried to make the fourth. Thanks. Thanks, Chase, for nodding at the word licentious. I like good. But,
1: I mean, really, it's- in reality if you're talking about the temptations of Christ, then.
2: So. When I think about the temptations of Christ, I think it's the greatest story ever told. I don't know. There was some movie in the seventies.
1: I think, I think you might be right.
2: I think it's the greatest story ever told where he's walking through the desert and the temptations are, like, he's being tempted in multiple different ways. But the last one that tells him, you know, to jump... And your father will save you. He's dressed in this black, flowing robe. And I just always thought it was... Instead of being dirty and haggard, he was clean and he was good-looking. And yeah. I think the things that are most tempting aren't the ones... That are obvious.
1: Oh, yeah. I actually 100% agree with you there.
3: I was trying so hard while I was reading this to make the Four Knights and the Four Temptations line up with the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And it doesn't Doesn't work. Doesn't. And that
1: is sad to me. But the Four Temptations and the Four Knights being played by the same people.
2: Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah.
1: So... Um. um. I do have two really important things to talk about with this if we're close to being done. I think we are. Yeah. So there are two incredibly important pieces of art out there related to T.S. Eliot's murder at the cathedral. Um, the first is from 1972 Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> um they used this play as the basis for a weight loss product infomercial <laughs> so the priest says i am here no traitor to the king first night absolve all those you have excommunicated second night resign those powers you have arrogated third night renew the obedience you have violated fourth night lose inches off your hips thighs buttocks and abdomen <laughs> So 1972, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Um, and then also in 1982, so 10 years later, does anybody know of a little show called SCTV? Yes, well, I do. So SCTV, which was a Canadian-US show, a comedy, like improv comedy show, Um, they did a play, this play, Presented by NASA's Buzz Aldrin's Mercury 3 players.
2: Is that a thing?
1: Um, I wish it was. I hope it is, but I don't <laughs> believe so. Um, But it was spacesuit astronauts. Astronauts wearing spacesuits as the actors. And Walter Cronkite narrated. And I'm
2: going to have to find that.
1: Um, and they, he narrated it as if it was an actual NASA moon mission and, uh, mission. I don't even
2: know how this works. There was a
1: mission control, like one of the astronauts, like mission control. I think we found a body and the mission is aborted when the doors of the cathedral will not open and not even Beckett's extra vehicular activity can open them.
2: That is bizarre. Huh. So yeah, I hope it's Buzz Aldrin. By the way, I've taught my eldest son that when the moon is out, he's to yell at the moon
1: like Buzz Aldrin.
2: I walked on your face. I walked yes. on your face, just like Buzz Aldrin.
1: Just like Buzz Aldrin, Good. great yes. American hero, Buzz Aldrin.
2: These are the kids I'm raising. They'll go to but, school yeah. so, with other people's kids. Like
1: as as a <laughs> moment of levity, especially after everything we got, we got. You know, into some, some deep thought uh, in there. Um, but With yeah. Jack Handy. But Monty Python's Flying Circus and SCTV both parodied Murder in the Cathedral, and I thought
2: that was important. So. I think so, too. I think so, too. Uh, I would like for more people to know that this play exists.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I agree 100%. I don't want just Elliot scholars and, you know, like people... Yeah, you know, like there's a lot of reason to read this play and get to know this play and think the things that this play can make you think.
0: And it's worth mentioning again; we've mentioned it a couple of times throughout. This is a pretty short one; you can finish this in a sitting, no problem. Oh yeah,
1: this is like an afternoon.
0: Yeah, grab it. Yeah. Grab it from a library. Pick it up if you can find a copy, and just sit down. You can and
1: read you can it. start at it's two great. in the afternoon and be done by dinner time. Easy.
2: It's free on the internet. Mm. Just. Murder in the Cathedral full text. You'll find sixteen sites that'll do it. It's right free. It what do you call it? Public domain.
1: Yeah. Um It's it's well worth reading. There's a lot you know a Dr. Seussy of me to say Oh the Thoughts You Can Think. But
3: Um I'm sorry, it's Oh the Thinks You Can Think.
2: Oh the Thinks to You Can correctly Thought
3: correctly Quote Doctor Seuss.
2: Oh the th- Why are we Quoting Let's well, Not Oh
0: The <laughs> Thinks You Can Thought You will be living and partly living?
1: Yeah. you'll Stabby Steve will get you. Hurdle. I
0: I just had to get that in there. That is a line from the show that is repeated several times by the chorus. Living Living and partly living. I really love that wordplay. It is. Also, there is a
2: line from the show is, Your goose will be cooked and eaten to the bone. That always cracked me up to be super, like, anachronistic. (laughs) Cook your goose.
1: We're going to cook your goose. I'm going to cook your goose. Um, but no and it does you know there the there's some really great wordplay there's some really great stuff in this and it will make you think. Yes. It will. Uh it'll mm-hmm. it'll whether you want to or not. It'll make you Yeah,
2: it it's beautiful.
1: It is. Yeah. The I, verse
2: is beautiful. The words are beautiful. Um the stabby
1: Stabby Steve. Eh, he was average looking at standing. best um, we
2: found one thing to make weird on this show good job guys i didn't think
1: he was homely but i mean maybe not you don't know that he was homely I aside i didn't think he was homely but maybe not you know he might not be a runway model but you know he could be
2: oh my god all right dead horse dead horse Alright, do we
0: have anything else we want to say? No, I mean, I got to bring up... In the cathedral.
1: I got to bring up Monty Python and SCTV, so, I mean, I'm pretty happy.
2: No, I'm excited to find out what we're going to read next. What next month is. Well,
0: next month... Next next month, Ryan and I are taking things over. So,
1: you guys had Ostentatious, and then Tales of the Beard. Tales of the Weird?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you
0: guys going to do? We are going to be doing... The uh, collection of short stories, The King
1: in Yellow. So we're going to delve into <laughs> Robert Chambers, The King in Yellow. Um,
0: um and Chase... I
2: hope you guys really go into the racism. Oh, we I, will. We, we will. I,
0: I, I was texting with Ryan. Oh, God. I, yeah.
2: Um, Because I started
0: reading it and I sat down. And I was like, because I know H.P. Lovecraft, well-known racist, uh, terrible, terrible monster. Uh, and I'm sitting down, and I'm and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder how long it's going to take R. W. Chambers to get racist. It's less than four a, pages, less than a page and a half. Yeah, it's yes. yeah, page it is, two. Yeah, it is right there. It's like, oh well, there it is. It is. Um, and but yeah. So, so you are, guys,
1: you guys are gonna do. You guys have Austin, and so you guys will do ostentatious, and Chase and I will do weird shit. Yeah, like Chambers and Lovecraft and and Ambrose Bierce. Um and Weird so, fiction
2: in general
1: Weird fiction, pulp fiction so that's the Oh route.
2: god, pulp fiction That'd be super fun Could you some Martian Chronicles Martian
1: Chronicles, I, I want to cover some Robert Howard Conan And mm. uh, I've never Solomon Cain So Solomon <laughs> Kane.
2: I know you said call Solomon Kane, But I'm tired enough that in my head It was Solomon Grundy well, and I'm like that's weird Well naturally, naturally Solomon, Solomon
1: Grundy wants be. pants too <laughs> all uh, i want is a decent right.
0: pair hear, of pants this is
3: i hear this, stabby steve knocking at the door so oh yeah we shit. should
0: probably take care of that
3: moose out front should have told you so uh, podcast
0: oh, is oh, over. Right. this is this has been the shakespeare podcast i'm ryan halfill
2: i'm beth roars i'm cassie greenlee
1: i'm chase greenlee oh man
0: thanks
2: solomon grundy does still want pants he does
1: <laughs> all i want's a decent pair of pants but yeah all thanks right. for coming out say good out.
2: night john boy Good night,
3: night
1: Ah, boy. Boy. Oh, dicks.
0: This has been a Ghostlight Media production.